Hello, welcome to episode 17 of the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan and joining me as always from Middletown, Connecticut, David Dixon. David, what's up? What's going on, Kelly? Doing great this morning. Beautiful day here in Connecticut. We also have a special guest on the podcast today, a man who will be entering his eighth season as the head men's basketball coach at Swarthmore College, fresh off a 29-4 and record in which the Garnet made it to the Division Three National Championship game. Landry Kozmalski, coach, congrats on a great season. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, we want to hit on a variety of topics with you just because your background is kind of, you know, so so interesting and, and unique. But kind of let, let's start with the your current Swarthmore program. So David and I were both NESCAC guys, so we have an idea. But how difficult is it to recruit to such a highly respected, you know, academic school while also trying to compete on a national level and, you know, kind of how do you thread that needle and what are some specific traits that you look for when you're recruiting a high school prospect? I would say it's a challenge in some ways, but also an advantage in others. Um, You know, our pool is really limited, so we just have to uh, really, you know, narrow that down or or find the guys we know can be admitted to Swarthmore. And then, um, you know, and then we got to find the, all around the country, even all around the world, you know, three to four guys a year that can come in and uh, be good fits for the, the college and the community and also for our team. Yeah, you know, Ke- Kelly and I went through the process of the, of the high academic recruiting period. And it is interesting as a player, you know, you're playing with a lot of guys who have a lot of interest off the court. But what's it like as a coach when you're coaching a lot of guys who, you know, when they graduate, you know, they're all going to be making six figures and doing all these crazy things in their in their professional life. So, so what's it like to, to coach such highly academic, highly intellectual, uh, intellectual players? Well, in the recruiting process, we try to find guys who are passionate about both. I think it's really hard to come to a place like Swarthmore or go to a place like Wesleyan and just love to do academics or just love to do basketball and not the other. Um, so... If you're passionate about both, while it is challenging, I think it's also really fulfilling. And we've noticed that our players tend to do better in the classroom when we're in season, even though it is a challenge. I think there's just a a level of discipline it takes and also uh, fulfillment you receive when you do both. So, you know, I think if you find the right people, again, people who want to do both things well and are highly conscientious, I think that it's... um, not only doable, but a lot of fun. Yeah, and so obviously we I mentioned you you guys made the national championship this year and unfortunately you lost, but the year before you also you made the Elite Eight and year after year you guys have incrementally improved to the point where, you know, now you're at the point where you're kind of in the national championship discussion or conversation each year. How, how do you guys kind of manage to stay focused and not, not let those expectations overwhelm you? Well, we talk about it constantly, um, but you know, about having the right mentality about it. We, um, you know, we have goals to win our conference and win our conference tournament and win the national championship. I think everyone has those goals, but we, we kind of put those to the side and then we start talking about our process-oriented goals, which just kind of keep us focused on the present. And you did mention how our program's gotten better. That's a big um, area of focus for us is just get a little bit better each day and the results will take care of themselves. Yeah, so speaking about your Elite Eight run, it was a cold Saturday morning in, in March, and I woke up, went down to the gym, and we were preparing to play you guys. And as we're doing film and, and walkthrough, I'm like, oh, my God, 
these we we knew these guys were good. It was like, oh my god, these guys are really good. And, and then you guys went out on the court and really just took it to us in that game. So all credit to you guys. But our coaching staff kept saying, you know, this is the Davidson system, Davidson system. And we were always like, well, what does that mean? And then going back to it, you you played at Davidson to begin with. So so kind of talk about uh, growing up and your own recruiting and, and playing here in high school and, and what made you choose Davidson? I wanted to go to a good academic school, but I also wanted to play high-level basketball. And I do remember I was not highly recruited, and I remember August before my senior year just not really liking my options all that much. And I had, you know, looking back now that I'm 40 years old, I had great options. I you know, I was looking at uh, Harvard and Cornell, you know, a few Ivy League schools like that. Um, I had Davidson. But at the time, you know, I mean, like every 17-year-old, I wanted to go to Duke or I wanted to go to Virginia or North Carolina. And um, so, uh, but, you know, so, so this, I still remember in late August, I was pretty disappointed about my options. But then Coach McKillop came into our home uh, just I, probably two, three weeks later. Um, I visited Davidson two or three weeks after that, and you know, six weeks after I was down in the dumps, I was committed to Davidson uh, just because it was a great fit. Because it was, it's a high academic school, but also competitive basketball wise. So, for sure, um, yeah, yeah. So that was what took me from Texas up to North Carolina, and then I was, you know, again fortunate. I was kind of on early on the Coach McKillop train early as one of his earlier players, um, and you know, you see now twenty years later how well he's done there. Um, and so, you know, to play for him and to then coach with him and learn from him has been, uh, I've been considering myself very, very fortunate. Yeah. So speaking of coach McKillop, you know, he's so highly respected in basketball circles. And I mean, his loyalty to the basketball program this, this coming season will be his 30th, just kind of, you know, speak to how important his, his mentorship and, and guidance has been to you both, you know, when you were a player and then, and then now as a coach. It's kind of hard to put into words. He, he's so, um, and you have to be, and, you know, you, you guys know this from playing at Wesleyan, you know, our kind of places, you have to be so detail-oriented um, to have success. You know, you can't just roll the ball out. So in terms of, you know, taking care of the details and always refining them and improving upon them uh, so that all those little parts equal a great whole, he, I don't think there's anyone better. And I've watched a lot of programs, and I've seen – a lot of good coaches, um, but the way he breaks the game down and puts it all back together, I, I would say he's the best in the country. Um, so, I, you know, that's kind of what we've taken here. We, we've tweaked on it and, you know, done, adjusted it to our personnel, but generally, I mean, just the, the details of the game and how we do that, and then also just the standards he holds you to daily, both as a coach and as a player, to, to get better and, you know, be at your highest level mentally and physically, um, you know, you just kind of get used to it and that's the new norm. And so you take that with you when you go play overseas or you go to a job where you coach or go to a job where you're a, you know, an employee, you just take a really high standard for, um, performance. Yeah. So just, I, my dad loves watching Davidson. And so I've, I've grown up and, and I've gone to a few Davidson games when they're up in New York city and watching them on, on TV. And it looks like the guys just have a lot of fun playing that style and that system what 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 makes it so enjoyable as a player is it just the freedom that that coach McKillop gives you but but kind of speak to like just playing in in that type of system yeah well it's something we talk about in our recruiting pitch a lot I mean it is we, we play it's actually quite disciplined I mean we're gonna 
ask you to do things a very specific way, but also it's, uh, there's a lot of freedom. So we kind of call it structured freedom. You know, we, we don't pl- run a lot of plays, so there is a lot of motion. But if you do, and if you guys have played in motion, you know this, uh, with that freedom comes a lot of responsibility. You know, you can't just shoot whatever shots you want. You can't just get the ball and, and dribble it and, you know, mess with it because now everyone's standing there. So you got to know how to play in motion and what the coach wants and what your teammates need. And um, once you understand that, I think the possibilities, once you learn them a little bit, are, I think the possibilities are endless. So, Coach, just doing a little bit of research, you know, back in your day, it seems like you were, you were a heck of a ball player, two-time Southern Conference first team, and then after graduation, you elected to go play overseas in Europe for a handful of years. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, what went into that decision to pursue professional basketball and what advice would you give to one of your players or, or really any player for that matter who's, who's finishing up college and is, you know, struggling to decide if they, they want to pursue a professional basketball career or, or get a jump start in the workforce? Well, I think someone who wants to pursue the professional basketball career, I don't think they'd be struggling with the decision. Like for me, there was no other option. Um, so I think if you're torn, it's probably best not to do it because if you've already got a foot out the door, you, now you're going to go overseas if you choose to go overseas and you're going to be away from your family, and you're probably going to be one of the only guys on the team that speaks English. And so you got to really love it to do it. Um, and that's not to say it's a bad experience. It's an amazing experience. And my five years over in Europe are the best of my life. Um, but I do think that if you're really driven um, and you just have that dream to play, I think it's an amazing experience to go over and play a different style of basketball and live in a different culture. I would, rec- yeah. I would recommend it to anyone who wants to play. And we actually, one of our former players is, um, is in Ireland right now. Zach Yonda graduated last year. David played against you guys last year. Um, he just finished his first season in Ireland, and he's getting his master's degree while he's over there. Yeah, I, I'm sure a, a couple guys on, on the current Swarthmore team are definitely going to have the opportunity to, to keep playing as you guys have built an incredible program over there. So kind of we had Coach Kevin Ryan on yesterday from Raritan Valley Community College, and he talked about how when he was done as a player, he went into the financial services, but he got that itch to, to go back into coaching. So at, at what moment or when did you decide that, that you wanted to pursue coaching as a career? Uh, that's a great question because I remember specifically, it was my last year playing in France, um, and I just kind of knew that I, I didn't want to play anymore. And it was mainly injury-based. I would have played longer, but I just had you know, pretty constant knee and back problems. And once I got to where I couldn't do it at the level I wanted to do it, I, my mind just shifted to you know, what do I want to do next, and coaching seemed obvious. And I remember being in France where I did have a lot of spare time that last year, um, and I remember just kind of getting a notebook and start, I started writing down ideas. You know, I, I still have that notebook, and when I look at it, it's comical how uh, remedial my ideas were. But it was still, you know, it's still really just putting your passion down on paper. And that was kind of, to me, it just became the obvious next step. I didn't have to think very hard on it. So, Coach, how do, how do you watch a game? You know, when, when you're watching a random basketball game, be it college or pro, what are you looking for? And are you kind of, you know, able to – enjoy and kick back and and maybe have an adult beverage are you constantly kind of looking for ways to improve and you know sets that you can integrate when you when you get back with your team um yeah that's a really good question (laughs) i don't watch it like i used to i would say that um it is fun though and i just i 
uh, our coaching staff texts during the March Madness, and you know, I would say sp- specifically the last three Virginia games were three of the best games I've ever seen. You know, they just happened to have a classic, I would say an instant classic against Purdue in the Elite Eight, and then of course their you know crazy ending against Auburn in the Final Four, and then the championship. And um, when you're watching them, uh, and again, I would say it's all those teams. I mean, Auburn, Purdue, and uh, Texas Tech. Th- those games were just so high level from a coaching standpoint. There were so many lessons to learn um so i you know just kind of watching getting ideas and you know texting our coaches about what they're doing and and as coaches you do see it you know i everyone was talking about the you know the squeeze play virginia ran for guy and then they got uh jerome on a pin in later like everyone saw any coach saw it it was all over twitter and we were our our text uh group message was blowing up on it because you just see stuff that is you know really high level um, but the other thing I'd say, you know, what, whatever game I'm watching, I, I'm a little big on watching people's body language. I think you can kind of predict who's going to win or if you're looking at recruits, who is going to fit well with you based on, um, you know, their, their, their energy, uh, based on how they react to mistakes, based on how they interact with their teammates. So that's what I would say the number one thing I watch uh, any game I'm uh, watching, adult beverage or no. <laughs> Yeah, one one of the things that I noticed throughout the tournament as you're speaking about how, you know, guys and how they interact with, with their teammates, it was really interesting watching that Virginia-Auburn game. I really just Auburn th- throughout the tournament that I've, I've said before on this podcast, kind of like, it just didn't really look like the Auburn guys liked each other that much. Like, something would happen, be like, oh, you should have passed me the ball, you should have passed me the ball, yet somehow they were still in the Final Four and, you know, one bad closeout away from making the the national championship game. But I want to talk about, you know, the NBA and obviously the biggest Davidson alum there is Steph Steph Curry. Is it is it fun watching someone from your alma mater dominate in the NBA? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'd say I'd preface my answer by saying I don't watch the NBA like at all. I, I may watch a playoff game or two at the end of the year. Um, so I can't really say much about that. What I would say, though, is, you know, if you ask about Steph, Yes, absolutely. I mean, the school, the basketball program, every basketball alum is proud as can be. Um, and I was actually there <laughs> when we were recruiting Steph, and, and I'm not going to launch into a long story, but I never coached him. I was gone. I left when he committed, and then I uh, came back right when he declared for the draft. So I missed his three years. But I mean, it, it's amazing from my perspective because I would go down and watch him just down the road at Charlotte, Charlotte Christian High School, and then AAU when he played for his dad and. No one could ever, anyone who said they could predict what he was going to become would be a liar because he was a good player. He was a smart player. Um, but like you could never predict how, you know, magical and dynamic a player he's become. And that's all to his credit. And it's to his parents' credit because they're really uh, loving, supporting people. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very proud. And it's uh, when I do stop and think about it, like when you just asked me, it is really amazing. Just out of curiosity, you said you never watched the NBA. Is there is there a reason behind that, or is it just because you're so you know heavily invested in the college game? Well, I, yeah, I would say I don't watch a lot of college games anyway. I mean, during the season, I heard a, some other coaches saying that at the end of the year. I mean, we're we're just kind of either playing games ourselves or watching film or trying to get caught up on time with our families. That it's kind of hard to watch um, based on how occupied we are. Um, but yeah, the NBA for a few reasons. One, I don't think they play quite as hard. I think it, I find it a little disappointing. I, I understand why, 
Um, I do really admire and respect their talent level, and it actually blows me away when I do take time to watch the things those guys can do individually. Um, but also, I, I think for, I do like to watch games to learn, as we mentioned before, and I, there's, it's tough to learn from the NBA because I think their game is very different than ours. Um, and I think from a coaching perspective, like to get plays from the NBA, I don't think they, they translate really well usually because of the wider lane, the farther three-point line, the defensive three seconds, just the length and athleticism of the players. I don't think there's a lot to learn for the Swarthmore men's basketball coach to, to take and you know, use with, incorporate with his team. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of all those reasons. Sorry if that was a long answer. No, 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 not, not at all. That was, that, was a, that was a great answer, and it, it makes a lot of sense. You, our coaching staff talk, talks about that a lot of just it's so hard for them to watch the NBA because – they can run a run a play, and just because the guys are so much better, so much bigger, and just way just better shot makers, that it works out so much more than than our uh, that our level in Division Three, and kind of just I want to go back to what to what you said about the the discipline freedom of that of the Davidson system and Swarthmore. I remember when you know we're playing you guys, and it, it felt like you guys didn't make a mistake, is that everything was programmed, everything was seemingly so technical and yet so loose at the same time and was that kind of the the pitch for Steph Curry because he plays with such freedom such looseness such such joy and yet Davidson is a really technical system so is that kind of just the pitch that hey if you buy into being really disciplined you can have as much freedom as as you want yeah and first I'd say you commented on our game a a few times I would say just so you know that was the best game we'd ever played at Swarthmore in my first (laughs) six years so it's not like we were doing that every day David I mean we were just I mean firing on all cylinders so oh yeah um, it it wasn't quite like that day in and day out but um I I think you said you asked did, did did the Davidson system appeal to Steph because of the 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 freedom is that right yeah yeah and I think it appeals to a lot of players because I think nowadays a lot of coaches um, like to run plays and they like to joystick a little bit. And I think most guys enjoy playing up and down and and not just enjoy it, but understand when you get in a system with other guys doing it um, and you're all on the same page, how it's actually successful because the defense doesn't really have a lot of time to catch their breath. And I, I think the hardest thing as a coach trying to prep for someone is to you know, walk the ball up and go against the defense that's entrenched and waiting for you. So I think it's just highly advantageous to be running up and down where they're almost never set and sometimes don't even have time to think. Um, so, yeah, I think it and, – and that is, again, part of the recruiting pitch is we're going to play up tempo, and that's the way you've played your whole life growing up, and we're going to uh, continue to let you play that way. Just last question regarding Steph. So you you mentioned you recruited him – and then you had left and, you know, he kind of went on to shine at Davidson and they had, you know, that magical run where they, they made it to the Elite Eight and were, you know, just a shot or two away from the Final Four. What was that experience like watching from afar, you know, your alma mater and a team that uh, you had helped somewhat assemble and had been a part of for, for a few years? Yeah. Uh, well, first, just to clarify, I, I did not say I recruited Steph. <laughs> I would not want the Davidson guys to hear that because I said I was there when we were recruiting him. Um, you know, Matt Matheny was the lead recruiter on him, and then he and Coach McKillop kind of sealed the deal with Steph pretty early. Um, I, I got to go down and watch Steph play a few times, basically. I, Steph, if you asked him today, would not know my name, and I'm perfectly okay with that. <laughs> um, but, 
Yeah, I'm sorry. And what was the question then? No, what just what was it like watching from afar that that run that they had when they made it to the Elite Eight? You know, as much as I, you know, I tell that story about not being there when Steph was there and how painful it was in some respects, I, I'm kind of glad in a way because I was coaching high school at the time of that run and I got to go to the all the games. Um, our season was over and I traveled to Raleigh and then up to Detroit with my wife and um, I, I was really emotional actually. Like when they beat... Um, they beat Gonzaga in the first round, which was just a great game. I think Steph had 40. But then the second round against Georgetown, they came back and won. And I was, like, pretty emotional after the game because I, I had known we could do that at Davidson. Um, and so to be there and watch, like, it was it was pretty crazy. And so, I mean, obviously I was stoked about going to Detroit the next week and I got to see him play uh, Wisconsin and then Kansas. Yeah, it's, you know, speaking of magical runs, you guys went on a on a great run this year. Was Was there a moment – during the season where you kind of felt like, hey, this could be our our year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yes. Uh, I, mean, I think early in the year I thought our team was pretty good. Um, but then we lost a couple – we lost two buzzer beaters in a row early in the season. And then we re- uh, responded, and I think we won 10 games in a row or something. And then um, – then we lost. Yeah, you know, I would say, though, the last, like, two weeks of the regular season, I remember being in practice and, say, and saying to myself, like, I don't really need to coach these guys anymore. They're kind of just doing it, and that was a great feeling. You know, I, and I told them, I was like, I'm not really saying anything. Like, I say the drill, and, you know, like, here are the two keys, and they just go, and they're uh, t- talking each other through it and holding each other accountable, and, and that just kind of um, sustained itself for the rest of the season. So, um it was it was a great feeling. I do think like when we beat MIT in the second round. I mean we were. I mean you know that was unfortunately surpassed the Wesleyan game for us in yep. terms of just playing out of our minds. Um, I said unfortunately. I guess I should have said fortunately. Um, it just we just you know again firing on on all cylinders would be an understatement. We were just really like gangbusters the whole first half and most of the game. And I thought then yeah it's like you know I think the momentum from that and the way our guys are feeling the confidence could. Uh, help carry us so coach every program you know has points of emphasis and and things that they stress what are some of the pillars of your your program and things that you really emphasize with your players that are pretty much you know non-negotiable in terms of expectations and and kind of what you expect from them day in and day out great question uh, because it's something we pride ourselves on those you know values or standards Uh, we talk a lot about team spirit so I mean I not to get into like specifics but just generally being a good teammate for us is the number one thing um and i think you know that goes for you know guy one through 15 you know everyone on the bench and so you know one of the things we say and i I stole it from coach Wright at villanova from his book is you know your our roles may be different but our status is the same and i think as much as we talk about that as a team our guys I think feel that and that's why it's fun is that even if they're not playing we know their role the, t- the guys on the team and the coaches know that what they do in practice is incredibly important to us um, how they interact on the bench during the games to give us energy is you know something that separates us so we talk about that you know pretty much every day so that's something that's non-negotiable is having good team spirit being a good teammate yeah that that makes a lot of sense and that's a great foundational piece of any program I'm sure every player in the Swarthmore program has a has a pregame routine, a pregame superstition. I'm sure you did as a player. 
how has your pregame superstitions evolved from being a player to, to now a coach? Is it are you more superstitious? Is just is the routine different? So kind of just what's the the pregame routine like from a superstition standpoint? Well, I I I don't use the word superstition. I, I don't really believe in those, but I do think there's uh, rituals can help you feel comfortable. So you know, kind of having the same timing for me before a game in terms of you know, just having a snack or, you know, listening to some music or getting my game notes done and then just kind of getting to the locker room at the same time. And, you know, I, I think just kind of, I think you want to be as calm and as um, loose as possible. And if you're running late or, you know, someone uh, distracts you from that, I think it kind of can throw you off before a game. So, yeah, I think I think those rituals or the timing, I, should, I guess I could say also, um, helps you get your mind right. And I think I have those just like all of our players and coaches have them. For sure. And, you know, as you know, coach, at this time of the year, there's really, you know, it's it's like a coaching carousel out there. A lot of guys are looking to to climb the coaching ladder in the in the college basketball world. And obviously you've had a great deal of success at Swarthmore. But in 10 to 15 years, where, where do you see yourself? 10 to 15 years. Wow. Maybe be on a beach somewhere, retire. That would be great. <laughs> 55. Um, yeah, I say that jokingly. I'll probably coach till I'm, if I'm able to, probably till I'm like at least 70. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's, that's really hard to answer. I mean, I, when I was left D1, I did have aspirations of going back to D1. Um, but now that I've been at Swarthmore and we had, a, we had a child when we came here, now we got two more. So we've got three. And, you know, to see them have their friends and be part of a good school system and just be here with friends ourselves. And, and then again, be at a great place like Swarthmore, both the campus and the community. Um, you know, you don't really think about leaving. I think some people are looking for the next thing. And I was, I, you know, I went to high school. I went overseas to coach. I coached at Davidson. I was D one. I mean, I've moved around and this has been the best fit for me. So, um, you know, I, I don't know about, any other opportunities I don't really think about it you know so um, it's just been really really great for me personally and for our our family and we're just really happy so it's hard to look 10 to 15 years down the road and think it would be different yeah that that's a great you know feeling for all the 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 Swarthmore fans you have coach Kelsmolski there until he finds finds his beach my 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 last question is one of my favorite things about just the college basketball experience is team meals at the dining hall. And this is kind of the, the, like the last Davidson question is one of my favorite YouTube videos ever is Steph Curry and a bunch of his friends at Davidson did a, did a funny video where, where they basically did a, a rap about the, the, the commons at, at Davidson. Is it as good as they made it seem to be in the video? Cause, cause I got major FOMO fear of missing out on, on the commons experience at, at Davidson college. Well, you know, the first thing I'd say, David, is when we came up to play Wesleyan, we had a great experience in your dining hall. We ate there two oh, days yeah. in a row, uh, just kind of, you know, trying to find places to eat. And I said, let's get these guys as much as they can eat. And let's go over there. And that was phenomenal. Um, you know, you being there eating 20 meals a week, you might not say the same, but for us, it was great. <laughs> um, you know, the, the commons, and they've changed some, I think they now call it commons. We used to call it the commons, whatever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old. But um, it was just, I, I think it's just, no, it's nothing like super special. The Davidson people are going to be mad. I mean, I think everyone really likes their um, their school cafeteria because it's some place you go, especially at a place like Davidson or a place like Westland or Swarthmore. It's a place you go to socialize with friends and you're away from the books for a while. Um, and I think that's why 
the commons holds special appeal to Davidson people because it is a place where you let down and you're able to find some balance. Um, and I, but I will say since I've left, they've changed it and I've been back and it is very nice now. I, I would say that <laughs> they've definitely upgraded since I left. My cousin went to Davidson, so I'll have to ask him about the commons sometime. But coach, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. We know it's, it's a busy time of the year and you're probably about to head off onto the recruiting trail. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for asking me. I thought you guys asked great questions, too. So thanks for uh, putting in the prep work and uh, being thoughtful about it. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Coach. Have, have a great summer, and, and, and good luck uh, next season. Hopefully we'll, we'll see you down the line in, a, in the tournament again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's Swarthmore this time, though. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Coach. That'll do it for Episode 17 of the Double Double. Thank you for listening. If you have not already, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. We can also be found on Spotify. We're also on Twitter, and we have an email account, double 402 at gmail.com. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, we'd love to hear from you. So take care and make it a great day.